The book of Hebrews, uh, many times people have called it a book of warnings. Yet at the same time, it's also called a book of encouragement. I guess uh, there are people that look at it kind of like, you know, the glass is half empty or it's half full. And you can look at it one way or the other. Um, I, in this series, in looking at Hebrews, I, this moment in my life, see it as a book of encouragement. And I see all these statements that say, let us and uh, you call them the lettuce statements, but it sounds like you're talking about a vegetable. But uh, let us, L-E-T word, let U-S, let us, this group of people, attend to these words. Let's do these things. And uh, one of the things, uh, one of the great uh, lettuce commands or lettuce exhortations or encouragements that, that's in this book is in Hebrews 10, 22, and it says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. The same thing is, is repeated in, in other passages of the New Testament. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ died for our sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? To bring you to God. James 4.8 says, come near to God. and He'll draw near to you. So we're, we're told over and over to come near to Him. The book of Hebrews, is, as Sue was explaining to the kids, talks a lot about some of the Jewish ways and the prescriptions that God gave to the Jewish people to approach him, to come to him. And, and why was there so much talk about uh, the high priest and, and the tabernacle? Is because he wants us to draw near to him. And there's a way to draw near to him. So my hope is in the next few weeks that you could gain something that would help you to believe and act on your belief through Jesus Christ, that you can approach God with freedom and confidence. So that's what we're going for in the next few weeks. Freedom and confidence in drawing near, drawing close to God. I was uh, 24 years old, and in the midst of uh, winding down uh, a traveling ministry, finishing college, uh, and I was doing a, a little mini lawn mowing business. And I was uh, working really hard, bringing in the cash, because uh, Sherry and I had been married uh, four and a half years, and we knew we were about to start a family. And I was thinking it's probably our last time, our last chance to do some big, uh, big traveling. And so I was uh, trying to mow as many lawns as I could and, and doing odd jobs here and there. And I arranged a two-week trip to, to go to Europe over our fifth anniversary. And I, I get this, when we get there and uh, we get to the city of Rome, uh, there are all these marvelous stru structures. I mean, lots of history, lots of stories. But because I'm pinching pennies, uh, you know, we do it, the do-it-yourself tour everywhere we go. And uh, which kind of works like this when you're 24 years old. Uh, you know, you're standing in front of the Colosseum and, and you go, wow, pr pretty cool building. And then I, yeah, I read something about this. And then I'd repeat some information about what I read about the Colosseum. And then I kind of look at Sherry and just go, that good for you? Yeah. All right, let's go. Check. Saw the Colosseum. <laughs> go on to the next building. And that's, that's about how it went on the 24-year-old the uh, pinching pennies budget trip to Europe. And, uh, and it was interesting 
you know, we later, we went to the Vatican and to the Sistine Chapel, which, you know, is a, a magnificent, massive complex that you could really get lost in. And it was a little intimidating. And uh, there was no do-it-yourself tour there. Uh, so I paid up, and there was a personal guide that took Sherry and I and a few others inside and telling us all sorts of stories as we walk through the inner places of that very special place. Now, and, and, and you know, I just remember the tour guide, you know, and, and, and this guide looking up at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel and, and describing it and saying, see, Michelangelo was on his back for this much time painting this ceiling. And in that mural, see that little feather on the ceiling? Doesn't that look small? Hold up your fingers to that and put... Yeah, see that little feather? That feather held in the figure of that, in the hand of that figure is six feet tall. And yet it's in proportion with the rest of that, that hand and the body and of that figure. Isn't that amazing? And, and all the glory of that building came alive to us because of the stories, the explanations that the personal guy kept uh, uh, telling us as he took a step through step through the Sistine Chapel and through the Vatican. And I learned my lesson. I finally realized what I'd been missing out on. I needed a personal guide. Well, I think sometimes in the Christian faith, we think that we can make it on a do-it-yourself tour. And when we come up to the magnificence of God's presence, we suddenly become intimidated and think, you know what? I think I'll just, I'll just stand outside of God's presence and admire but I don't think I'll go in. And then I think there are tons of churchgoers and even some Christ followers who are missing out on the stories, the glory, the wonder and enjoyment of God's presence standing on the outside at a distance observing, never coming in close to experience the presence of God. Some people are like me on the tour they don't even know what they're missing. Others might have a clue, but they're afraid because they don't realize that God has provided a personal guide for us to draw near and to come into His presence. His name is Jesus. The pathway to His presence is made by Jesus and is led by Jesus. There are no do-it-yourself tours. And today, I want you to know that in the person, Jesus Christ, you just don't get a group tour. You can have your own personal guide who can give you backstage, behind the scenes, all excess pass into the presence of God the Father. So how is it, how is it that Jesus is more qualified than you or me to lead us into the presence of God? I mean, for that matter, how is it that Jesus is more qualified than any other person who has ever lived to bring you near to God? Very quickly, I just want to give you six reasons the Scriptures in Hebrews point to. And you can write down these six things. They're real simple. Um, and they're all found in chapters 1 through 9. And uh, I'm just going to quickly point out these six things. One, first thing that makes Jesus qualified more than you or me or any other person in the world is that Jesus is over God's house. You see, Jesus is qualified 
because he's not just another servant in God's house, but he is the son of God. He is the son over God's house. You see, angels, angels are the servants of God. We are the servants of God, but Jesus is the son of God. Every human being was made a little lower than the angels, Psalm 8.5, in regards to glory and to ability. Jesus, though he was made like us, was superior to the angels because the universe, even the angels, were made through him. Jesus is the exact representation of God's being. To no other person or being in the universe does God say, let all God's angels worship him. I mean, worship Jesus. To no other being does God call son. I'll say it again. Angels are the servants of God. And we are the servants of God. But Jesus is the son of God. In the future world, in the future world, it won't be subject to the rule of angels or subject to the rule of humans. The future world is only subject to Jesus the Son. Our guide is qualified because he is over the house of God. And it's not just in the house, he's over the house. All right? So, two, Jesus shares our humanity. Jesus is qualified to be our personal guide into the presence of God because he shared our humanity. Jesus being made in the likeness of humans, he didn't, it, it didn't disqualify him, but instead it made him a merciful and faithful leader. And because Jesus suffered the same things we suffer when we are tempted, he's able to help those being tempted. See, Jesus was made like us in every way, but was without sin. He was without sin. See, Jesus walked through the minefield, and he's, he's already been through it, and, and he, he didn't set off any of the landmines. And now he's guiding us through, and he knows the way. You've seen those World War II movies, or any kind of movie, they're walking through the minefield, and everybody's biting their nails, and they're watching the leader, the first guy, go through, and then he makes it through. And they're like, okay, follow in his steps exactly. That's what Jesus has done for us. Jesus can lead us through. His divinity empowered Him to lead us. His humanity allows Him to lead mercifully. He's qualified as our personal guide because He knows what it's like to be human. And He can mercifully lead us into God's presence. Number three, third reason Jesus is more qualified than you or me or anyone else in the world to be our personal guide is that Jesus is appointed. See, on this tour into the presence of God, you can't appoint yourself as guide. When God instructed Moses to set up the tabernacle, he gave very specific instructions. So his presence could be among the Israelites. God selected Aaron, appointed him and his descendants to be high priests. The only ones who could go into the, the Holy of Holies, the innermost part of the tabernacle, where God allowed his presence to dwell. You know, the high priest was selected and appointed to represent all, hum all humans in matters related to God. No one can take this honor upon themselves. Oh, I, I think I'm going to select myself. I'm going to become a high priest. Can't do it. It's an appointment. It's a selection. 
No one takes this honor upon themselves. They got to be called by God, just as Aaron was. And in the same way, Jesus, he didn't take this upon himself, but was selected and appointed by God. The scriptures say he was chosen to be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is qualified to be our personal guide because he didn't do an internet ordination certificate and appoint himself. But he was qualified because God appointed him. Jesus is appointed. Number four, Jesus is qualified by his power. Okay, this whole Melchizedek thing that's described in the first uh, chapters of Hebrews is, is the part where we see Jesus is uniquely qualified like no other person or being to bring us in the presence of God. See, this Melchizedek dude, he was a minor character in the life story of Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faith, I mean, he's, he's the big hero for every Jewish boy or girl. He returns from a battle rescuing his livestock and his servants and his nephew Lot from a big kidnapping. And in the battle, Abraham not only returns with his possessions, but with the wealth of several kings that he defeated. And who does Abraham meet on the way back to the place where he had set up his tent? He meets Melchizedek. And then he gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything he has. So, everyone who's, every Jewish boy and girl who's reading this are going, man, Abraham's the dude. He's the man. He's the father of our faith. And why is he giving a tent to this guy? Who, who is this man? Who is this Melchizedek? Melchizedek was a priest of the Most High God. And his name means King of Righteousness. And being the King of Salem, which when you define or translate Salem, means he was King of Peace. So he was king of righteousness and king of peace. There is no record of where Melchizedek came from. And this was before the days of Moses and Aaron and the appointment of high priests. There was no tabernacle yet. There was no temple. You see, the scriptures mysteriously describe Melchizedek in this way. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. God said of Jesus, the Lord has sworn and he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. God made an oath. He made a promise. And how is Jesus like Melchizedek? Or is a priest in the order of Melchizedek? You see, Melchizedek was a priest of God before there were any regulations about high priests. You see, Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. He was from the tribe of Judah. He wasn't a descendant of Aaron. Yet, He was made our high priest. You see, Jesus didn't become our personal guide on the basis of a regulation in regards to His ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. Jesus is uniquely qualified because He lives forever. To be our high priest forever. He is able to completely save us and lives to always intercede for us. Jesus is uniquely qualified because He is holy, pure, and without sin. He is unlike the human priests of Aaron and his descendants who had to offer sacrifices day after day for the sins of the people. Jesus sacrificed once and for all when He offered Himself. You see, the promise is more powerful than the law. Jesus is qualified not by regulations, but by the power of an indestructible life. 
Fifth, fifth reason Jesus is qualified to be our personal guide. Jesus laid down that indestructible life. He's qualified to be our personal guide because he not only has an indestructible life, but because he willingly laid down that life for us. You know, a will, like a last testament and will, when it's written out and put together by lawyers, can only go into effect when somebody dies. In the same way, Jesus died to put into effect the will of God. Jesus shed His blood so that sin could be done away with and forgiven once for all. He rose again because His life is indestructible and He lives to intercede for us forever. Jesus is our personal guide because He laid down His life. So, so far, what I've described of our personal guide, I don't know of another person that is qualified in this way. I mean, there is no other. And, and the needs for this role, I mean, we ourselves can't meet the standard. I mean, are you or me, are, are we without sin? No. Are you above all the other servants in God's house? No. Have you or me been appointed by God to be a high priest? No. Do you or I have an indestructible life? No. I mean, if you did, if you did have indestructible life, would you be willing to lay it down for low lives like me? Probably not. By the power and purity of your life, can you offer yourself to do away with sin and forgive it once and for all? I don't think so. Is there anyone? Nobody. Nobody but Jesus. And the sixth and last reason that Jesus is qualified to be our personal guide into the presence of God. Jesus knows the way. He knows the way. You know why? Because He serves in the true tabernacle set up by God in heaven, not by man on earth. I mean, what was set up on earth, the tabernacle and the temple, that was just a copy, just a shadow of what was in heaven. Jesus has been there before. He knows the way to the Father. I want to tell you a little story to remind you of this. It's a story you probably heard from me, but if I've telling it more than once, it's because I want you to be able to tell it too. All right? So, there was a missionary heading to the Congo. Flew in on a plane. He was going to go deep into the jungle, so he gets off the plane, gets onto a jeep, drives the jeep into the jungle, gets to a point where he can't drive any farther. There's no more roads. But the village he's going to is in the middle of the jungle, and so he has to keep going. There... At the edge of the jungle, where the jeep can go no further, uh, there's, a, there's a villager who says, hey, this boy is from the village that you're going to. This little boy is going to lead you there. The missionary kind of looks doubtfully at this little boy, says, okay. And he looks at everything behind him, says goodbye, and begins following this little boy through the jungle. And he starts looking around and realizing there's no path. There's no path that this little boy is following. There's no landmarks. And, and he's, he's studying, and he's realizing the boy doesn't have a map. 
he's starting to scratch his head, and so he asked the boy, are you, are you okay? You, you, you know where we're going, right? Yes, don't worry. I'll get you there. And then he realizes that the, the canopy of the jungle is so thick that you can't even see the sun. So uh, needless, even if you didn't have a compass uh, and you're trying to find the sun, you couldn't find the sun. So no compass, no map, no path, no sun. And after uh, several hours of walking through the jungle and seeing nothing, the missionary stops the little boy and says, Son, I don't know how you're doing this. How are you getting us to where we're going? Because I'm getting a little nervous. We've been walking in the jungle for a long time. He said, You don't have a map. There's no path. You don't have a compass. We can't see the sun. And the little boy turned to the missionary and said, I am your path. I am your compass. I'm your, I'm, I'm your map. And I'm the sun for you right now. Follow me. And that's what Jesus has said to us. He knows the way to the Father. He is the way to the Father. You see, today we can enter His presence because of Him. He is our personal guide, Jesus. He is the pathway. He leads us now and wants us to draw near to the Father. You don't have to wait till the day you die to encounter the presence of God. Jesus knows the way right now. I want to read to you. And I want us to say this together. It's Psalms 23. Would you stand with me right now? It's a psalm that talks about our personal guide about trusting Him. And I hope it's a psalm that maybe one day you'll decide to commit to memory. But let's say it together. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. He is our personal guide. Right now, what I'd like us to do is um, we're just going to close in prayer and in a song. It's a prayer. So what I want us to do is uh, we're going to make a gigantic circle right here. And we're going to hold hands. I think we can do it. I think this is a small enough group that we can do that. So, uh, yeah, make, make your way around. All right. So there's a, there's a real simple song I just want us to close in. It's this. It's real simple. The words go like this. Uh, we are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And, and you repeat that, and then you say, and we pray that one day all unity will be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. And then the second verse, we'll do this one. Uh, we'll walk with each other. We'll walk hand in hand. Repeat that. And you say, 
and together we'll spread the news that God is in our land. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. All right? Think we can do it? All right. I'll start us out here. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. We are one in the Spirit. We are one in the Lord. And pray that all unity will one day be restored. And they'll know we are Christians by our love, by our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand. We will walk with each other. We will walk hand in hand and together we'll spread the news that God is in our land and we'll know we are Christians by our love by our love as thou know we are Christians by our love Lord Jesus where we are weak make us strong Live in us and through us. We pray that we might be great people of love. Lord, show us how. Lead us. Be our personal guide. Guide us. And Lord, we pray that we might not be afraid to approach you with faith and confidence, to draw near to you. Teach us, Lord, that we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.